Are you underutilizing one of the most powerful restaurant marketing tools on the planet? What do 92 million monthly Yelp searchers see when they land on your page? Is your content accurate and attention grabbing? Are you using every conversion tool possible to set yourself apart? Yelp is here to help. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to sign up for a one-on-one with a specialist that will review your Yelp page and share tips to help you stand out. Again, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to supercharge your Yelp page today. Now here we go. Subway had a very good system. Everything looked the same, same portion control, same packaging, same bag, store looked the same. That's what made them successful. And, you know, when you go into a subway, I don't care if you're on this side of the country, that side of the country, you're on the subway, it is going to look the same, it's going to taste the same. And that's what I learned early on. If you want to build a system, a franchise system, it's got to be consistent. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Hey, it's Josh. I'm starting a new case study group this month and I'm looking for a few specific people. So, if you're a restaurant owner or operator that's currently doing $50,000 per month in sales, have the desire and the bandwidth to increase your sales by 10 to 20%, and have two to three hours per week to work on these strategies, I would love to help you scale up by Christmas. Go to restaurantcasestudy.com and sign up to learn more. Again, that's restaurantcasestudy.com. Imagine if when you started your entrepreneurial journey, you were provided with a plan for guaranteed success. Dennis McKinley did, and he shares that plan with us today. Dennis became a franchisee in his early 20s. He took that playbook, improved upon it, and today sits as the franchisor of one of the fastest growing restaurant chains in the country. In today's conversation, we take a peek inside that playbook for strategies we can implement in our own businesses today. first franchise I had was Subway. Man, back then, Subway was just booming, man. One of my mentors had like six of them. He was like, man, this is kind of small change to me now, man. Like, you should check it out and see if you want to do it. I'm like, okay, cool. So I did it. One wasn't enough because you don't make any money with one. So I had to do two and I got three. And then I'm like, well, I'm making a little money, man, but Subway's making all the damn money. So <laughs> I see how this game works. <laughs> like, you want to be on the other side of this coin, man, not making sandwiches all day. So, you know, I would have made a decent living, man, but I, I learned something immediately, which was uh, if you could teach others to do something and create a system, like, you'll make money without making sandwiches. So that was my first lesson right there. So let's unpack that a bit more. So with the first one, were you in the business or on the business? And how did your trajectory grow, right? Because whenever you open anything, franchise or not, you do spend a lot of time, especially in those early days, I'm sure, especially at 23 years old, like in it, trying to learn the systems yourself, right? Yeah, man, I was cheating a little bit. Back then it was like, hey, owning a franchise is cool. Who cares how much money I, I was making? I just wanted to be cool. You know, I saw the folks doing it and I thought it was easy, but it wasn't easy, man. It was tough. Before, for Subway, my next door neighbor owned a McDonald's, man. And I was like, ooh, this is exciting. Why are you on McDonald's, right? But found out that she wasn't making that much money either. 
but just the subway experience, man, I noticed one thing for sure. Like if you franchise a business, you hear about these operators that have 100, 200 locations, but man, one to five, one to 10, you got to be in there with your sleeves up. You got to be in there working the business, man, or somebody's going to be stealing from you. You're not going to make as much money. You're not learning the business, definitely, if you're not working in there. So I found it was very important, man. Like, if you're going to go into a franchise system, if you want to do one, five, ten, you got to get in there. You got to learn the business. You, you got to roll your sleeves up. You got to be in there working. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So you started at 23. At what age did you decide that you wanted to buy the original hot dog factory? Okay, yeah. Hot dog factory came later. Uh, I was 35. I just sold a few businesses. I was in Atlanta. Just a quick story of that. I'm from Detroit. So if you ever been in Detroit or anybody knows about Detroit, we got these things called Coney Islands, right? Every corner, we got a Coney Island. They sell a bunch of stuff, but mainly they sell hot dogs, chili, cheese, mustard, onion. Every corner in Detroit. After college, I sold a few businesses and I moved out of Detroit. Man, it was too cold. But I ended up, after a few cities, I ended up in Atlanta, Georgia. After all this stuff, different businesses here and there. And uh, I'm like, man, Atlanta doesn't have a hot dog restaurant. It got a few, but like the culture, hot dog culture was missing. Like you will find in Chicago or New York. So I'm like, man, I got to figure this out. So I went to this, into this mom and pop shop. It was called Hot Dog Factory. You walked in on the, the right side, it had red, a red wall for ketchup. And on the left side, it had a yellow wall for mustard. I'm like, okay, this is corny, but I came here for a hot dog. I had a, what they call a chili cheese dog. I'm like, man, this is the closest I've had to a hot dog from Detroit. Man, in years. I kept coming up there, man. I, I built a relationship and with some rapport with the owner. And one day I was like, man, I should just buy this place and rebrand it. All the experiences that I've had going from city to city, like Seattle, right? If you go to Seattle, they eat cream cheese and onions on the hot dog, right? You go to Chicago, you can find a Chicago dog. You go to Charlotte or anywhere in North Carolina, they eat chili and slaw. I'm like, man, it'll be a cool idea if I just you bought this place, rebranded it. Out of all the great hot dogs experiences from across the country, <laughs> bring them all under one roof, man. And that's how I bought the hot dog factory. That was back in 2015. So let me ask you about that, because I think it's a super interesting decision that you made. So you bought a single location. Why not just create your own concept? I don't think it would have been that hard to get the recipes and all of that. What was it about that business that you wanted to duplicate that as opposed to just starting from scratch? Yeah, well, you know, another lesson I learned back in the day is, look, don't recreate the wheel if, if you don't have to. I could have definitely just took the money. I had a good deal of capital. I could have just started my own right, hot dog factory. But the thing about that business was people were coming in there and they really loved hot dogs, right? They loved, genuinely, they had a base of people who love hot dogs. And I said, if there's anywhere else to try to, you know, start this business, let me buy this business. Always got a, already has a base of, of hot dog lovers, right? But I remixed this menu and they don't like it. I know this is just a business that's not going to work. So that was really the major decision right there. And at what point did you decide to franchise? Man, almost immediately. As soon as we rebranded that menu, we got people coming from everywhere. And Atlanta is a melting pot. You got people here from New York, from California, from everywhere. And people were just like, hey, I heard that you got a Carolina slaw dog. Like, is that true? I'm like, yeah. People just start coming. They were asking about different hot dogs. And we got about 20 different hot dogs on our menu. And right then I knew, I was like, man, this could really be something. And then people start coming in and say, hey, why you don't have one on this side of town? Or, hey, this will probably be cool in the mall. Why's not in the mall? I said, man, so I have to either decide from a franchise's business or I'm going to just take 
my own capital and build a corporate. But um, people started asking about franchise. I'm like, hey, can I franchise here and there? I said, well, franchise me it is. Well, now, franchising wasn't, at least in the subway model, wasn't particularly profitable for you. When you looked at creating your own franchise model, how did you make sure that you were able to make enough money to make it worth your time, but to also empower your franchisees? Let me be clear. I made money at Subway. I just noticed that Subway was making a little more money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, at the end of the day, Subway was all, all in. You had about 10, 11 points, depending on what you got going on here. So I wanted to make sure if we franchise a hot dog factory that was going to be affordable. I wasn't making more than the franchise partners. Like That's very important because once they look at those bottom lines and they're looking at Subway making 10% and you making eight, it's like, ah, I don't know if this relationship is worthwhile. So I, that's what I wanted to make sure I did first, make sure they made more money than me. You know, I look at the restaurant industry and I see two realities that are both 100% true. Well, the first is it's almost impossible to succeed in this industry. But the other is that if you do manage to succeed, it's one of the best ways to create generational wealth. And there's been a lot of talk, especially since the BLM movement, of the lack of opportunity for generational wealth within the African-American community. Do you see your franchise concept as an opportunity to impact that and to change that? Yeah, well, two points. Me, I just love hot dogs, man. And if you come into any hot dog factory, like in any city that we have, you'll see a very like mix of like our base. You got young, you got old, you got Hispanic, you got Asian, you got white, you got black. Like like hot dogs are all American. Like people love hot dogs. So our base is very all across the board. But uh, let's talk about like opportunities within like black America, right? If you think about food that like we eat, right? You think like, oh man, like all black folk like mac and cheese. All black folk like fried chicken and you think like oh well i can go to kfc and get that but it ain't the same right within our community like we have things that we love but we just have not had the opportunity to scale right i think you haven't seen a soul food restaurant that you can find in every city in this country why not right well we haven't had an opportunity to create that right and that goes to, for the same thing like you go to taco bell like man that's not really mexican food right that's unauthentic American food, right? But that's the same thing you can say, you know, translate that back to Black America. It's a lot of cuisines and how we just make food that just haven't been able to scale. You ask yourself why? It's just access to capital, access to opportunity, access to expertise. Like we talked about you a Michelin chef, like Michelin rated chef and mom and pop. So those two different levels of food expertise Right. But, you, you know, people think, oh, you're a Michelin chef, like your food tastes amazing, but you also know how much should go in what. It's a different level. Right. And so it's just a lack of opportunities across black America in regards to just becoming a real restaurant tour. You got to figure out ways to get better at that. Now, for you, what do you think made the biggest impact in your career? When you look back, what are the key decisions that you made that led to you being able to be so successful in the industry? Well, I think uh, most of my decisions, I graduated from the University of Michigan. My degree is in economics. Like, so first and foremost, before I make any, any decision, right, it's always economic driven. And when I go see other restaurants or talk to other chefs, et cetera, like they're not always making economic decisions, right? They're like, oh man, like I cannot put this protein in there because it's, I'm like, well, this protein is $3 more. Like, 
Come on, chef. How big of a difference is it? Let's taste it for real. That can make it break you when that's your top seller, right? So a lot of decisions made by restaurateurs are not economic first. They're always taste first, right? And I've seen that mistake many, many times, you know, when I talk to other restaurateurs. Are there key mistakes you made along the way that you learned from as well? Oh, most definitely. I think when everybody calls me about restaurants, like, we ask tough questions, man. Like, why do you want to be in a damn restaurant business? Like, this is the hardest business to be in the world. Why do you want to be in a restaurant business? And everybody thinks it's cool. Like, oh, it's my dream to own a restaurant. Like, hold on, man. Let's back up, right? Because coming up, I was making all type of mistakes. Like, oh, okay. Uh, you want to be in a restaurant business? Okay. I don't want to make hamburgers. I'll make a hamburger. How many ounces in that patty? I don't know. It looks big enough to me. Or, oh, your fry portions. How many ounces you got there? Six, eight? Well, I don't know. I'm just, we're not measuring our food, right? So just me not having the knowledge of like true being a, a top-notch restaurateur from portion control all the way down the line. Like that, those are one of some of my biggest mistakes I just had to learn. Thankfully, I had the cash to correct some of those mistakes. But as you know, most restaurateurs, it's, you know, I went into a restaurant in New Orleans, man, uh, just recently. I don't want to name their name. I don't put them on glass, but like, they were serving macaroni and cheese, six-ounce cups for three fifty. I'm like, man, ain't no way y'all making money on this, man. Where is the restaurant? Who is the owner? Right? So I made a ton of mistakes, man. Like I said, portion control, understanding um, really how much cash I'm making, understanding uh, the true meaning of like paying people what they're worth, especially in your kitchen, versus, oh, I may have a budget for this, but like, you pay somebody who understands this well, you're going to save money on the other side, right? So just so many mistakes I've made over my career. That's why I'm at the point right now where I can franchise and tell people with 100% confidence, this is how you do it. This is why you do it. And if you do what I tell you to do, this is going to be a result, right? Instead of you making 6 to 8%, let's go take you to 12 to 16, right? Or even 20 if, if we can get volume, you know, right? But let's be honest. I mean, those are what the numbers are, right? That's incredible. Anything in the double digits is super inspiring. When you look at the industry average for a full service restaurant, I think it's a 6% net. And what's interesting about that is that's really only accounting for the restaurants that are making money. Making money. <laughs> right. so those that's making money, right? Right. Everyone yeah. else is losing money. So, I mean, those net profits are phenomenal to hear. Is it systematized? Is that all it is? Is the secret to success having the right infrastructure in place? Yeah, well, listen, I mean, I don't want to like, Come on here, a customer listens. It's like, ah, oh, man, like we getting robbed. But like, let's be honest. Like a hot dog bun is fourteen cent, right? We use a premium beef hot dog, which is very expensive, but that hot dog is still around like forty cent. We can get hot dogs super cheap, but we use a great hot dog. You talk about condiments, mustard, ketchup, onion, right? We're in most of our dogs at a buck. We sell those dogs for five dollars. Like our margins are, are are pretty good. Right. So if you can get people through the door at those margins, you can find some great rent. You're making some good cash. You know, it's so interesting you presented that way. You just said something that really resonated with me because it, it was one of my biggest concerns as an owner and operator, but it also for the industry at large. You said, you know, I would hate for a customer to be listening to this and to hear that I'm netting out 16%. And it's as an industry, isn't it interesting that for the longest time we've been in this place? where we've been afraid to tell people that we make money and that we're afraid that there's going to... Because like you go to the Porsche dealership, when you go to any dealership, you know they're making money off that car. 
When you go to the grocery store, you know they're making money off the food. But at a restaurant, in the restaurant industry, it seems to be like the only place in the world where you got to work for free for people to be happy. Josh, man, listen, I'm always afraid to tell people. Because people are like, oh, I just paid $10 for a hot dog meal with fries and a Coke. It was great, but it was $10. I'm like, you don't want to go get one from the gas station. No, this is much better. I would prefer here, but like, oh, $10? With inflation going through the roof, as you already know, man, this last year is just wing prices are crazy. Oil is crazy. Prices are going the same. And unfortunately, we got to go up in prices again, but that's just... You know, it is what it is. Well, it's also, and you may mention of it already, but if you intend to pay your people well, there's an associated cost for that that's got to be passed on to the consumer. Most definitely. And this last year is really just, I have a huge appreciation for like kitchen talent now, man. It's just, they're hard to find now, but like, man, I have a huge appreciation for somebody who can get busy in the kitchen. Where are you in this moment in your career? How many franchises do you own and then how many franchisees do you have yeah so with original hot dog factory we have about 35 franchise partners 21 locations open currently under our crew system which is our hookah nightlife concept we have nine open currently we have another 15 in the pipeline we have another system called healthy james which is a meal prep system based out of louisville kentucky we have uh, 11 franchise was open another uh, 20 in the pipeline. We have a few other concepts as well, but franchising is just amazing industry for those who want to have their hand held a little bit, right? Most of the restaurants, I forget what number it is, but most of them are in this country are QSR. Most of them are franchises. It's for a reason, right? You know, you get some franchise partners that say like, man, I love your system, but I want to do it like this. I just tell them like, man, this is not for you. You got to go out strike on your own, man, because like, I'm not taking any L's, any losses from what you think is a good idea. This is what we do. It works. So, And looking back at your career, getting into the franchise model, a successful franchise model, which is the Subway model, getting into that early, I'm sure it had a significant impact on how you chose to structure your own businesses when you moved outside of that, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, listen, I can just remember going to yearly conferences and like you have one side of the room just like Subway fans and the other side of the room, like, we hate Subway, but we make money. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on, but I noticed something that like Subway had a very good system. Everything looked the same, same portion control, same packaging, same bag, store looked the same. That's what made them successful. And, you know, when you go into a Subway, I don't care if you're on this side of the country, that side of the country, you're on a Subway, it is going to look the same. It's going to taste the same. And that's what I learned early on. If you want to build a system, a franchise system, like it's got to be some consistency. That's the key. I want to talk about leadership. So you find a franchisee, they, your system resonates with them. You like them. You feel like they're going to be successful. And so you obviously give them the systems, but I'm sure most of these guys are maybe actively managing in the early days, but eventually they bring on managers, especially if they're scaling that franchise concept. And leadership in teaching people how to lead has got to be an essential element of what you guys do, right? Oh, most definitely. Some things cannot be taught, right? But leadership most definitely 1000% can be taught. And that was one of the first things we look for when we talk to franchise partners and interview them. Like, do you have leadership ability? Like, can you take this model and teach it to somebody else? Right? That's, it's very simple. Like, can you take this model, learn it, and then teach it to somebody else? 
if they can't do that, then they're not going to be a, a good partner because we're going to be the ones running that business for them, right? And that's not what we signed up for. So most definitely, leadership is very high on the requirements. When you were studying economics in college, what did you want to do with your life? Where did you think you were headed before you graduated? Man, Josh, I was just talking about this. So look, I wanted to be a lawyer, to be totally honest with you. And it was just some stat that's like most lawyers are like econ grads. I don't know where that came from, but I'm like, yeah, I want to be a lawyer. I'm in my senior year. I never forget my professor's like, look, Dennis, come here. Let me just talk to you in my office. I'm like, yo, what's up, professor? You know, I'm killing that econ. I'm like, what's up? He's like, man, you're probably not going to be a good lawyer because you're a horrible writer. You're, <laughs> you're, 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 you'll, never, you'll never graduate from law school. Like, you're a terrible writer. I'm like, Come on, man. Like, you can't, you're like, no, I'm being honest with you, man. Like, go talk to a few people, man. Like, I love you, man, but you got to think about something else to do. And I'm like, I was crushed, man. I'm like, man, I wanted to be a lawyer. So I had a real estate business while I was in school. That's so how I paid for college. And, and I'm like, man, let me just figure out something else because I just got my dreams crushed. You know? I want to be, be a lawyer. So I um, just ended up entrepreneurship kind of just fell in my lap. And then in those early days, it seems like mentorship played a really big role in your life. I can remember the first bar that I ever managed, I got really close with the two guys that owned it. And I learned so much from them and I fell in love with it. And that's really the first time I saw it as a career that I could be in hospitality. I could make a great living doing this and I could enjoy myself every day. It'll be different. And the rest is history. That was over 20 years ago. But I'm curious for you, was it just being literally in proximity to other franchisees? Did anyone take you under their wing? How did that work? Yeah, so I had two really cool mentors early in my career. One, her name was Tina Brundage. She was a owner-operator of McDonald's. I think I was about 18 years old. I worked in that McDonald's, and I just, she was my next-door neighbor, so I just follow her every move. So this was like indirect mentorship, but I follow her every move from sunup to sundown. I listen to every call every business meeting I was in trying to figure stuff out. And I'm like, man, if she could be a McDonald's owner, I definitely could be a McDonald's owner, right? And that really struck me early. And then my, later on in my career, as I started making cash out of my own capital, I was mentored by a guy named Don Barton. Don Barton owned Barton Cablevision in Detroit, made a ton of money from Comcast came in, they bought him out. He became a casino owner in, in Las Vegas. Like, and that guy was the truth. Like, he would really just lay it on me and tell me, like, listen, you got to think bigger, right? This is cool, but, like, you got to think global. Detroit is okay, but, like, man, you ever been to New York City, right? And I was just thinking, like, man, like, I got to think bigger. So he was the guy that really taught me, like, like one isn't enough. If you think about one, you could do 10. If you could do 10, you could do 100, right? So two very important people that really taught me two lessons about business. What does the rest of the year look like for you? What are your goals for this year, for next year? Where do you see the business going? Well, I really think, and I believe deep down tomorrow, I think Hot Dog Factory, we could get in every city in this country. Like, you know, America loves hot dog. I mean, you talk about apple pie, Chevrolet, right? Like hot dogs falls in between there somewhere. I think for the next year, two years, you're going to really see a, a burst, you know, Hot Dog Factory. Last year, we didn't even try to sell franchises. We were in the middle of a pandemic. I'm trying to move my franchisees on and have them pivot a little bit. So I think we're at that point. I know we got this COVID that's still around, but I think we're at a point where we're going to move past this. And you're going to see the restaurant industry at an uptick and some new concepts 
being birthed from this pandemic. But I really think that uh, over the next year, you're going to see Hot Dog Factory in, in you know, a ton of more cities. Uh, New York City is a great market for us. We're in the Bronx, we're in Brooklyn, but New York is so, so big. I, I think we're going to do really well there. I'm looking at Chicago, which is a real hot dog city. Maybe we're going to do some great things there as well. So. It's an industry podcast, and at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Yeah, most definitely. I think that, you know, this sounds like I'm running for office here, man, but I just want to tell everybody in the audience, man, like, America is a great place to be, man. If you're an entrepreneur, you got a dream, especially when it comes to food, right? It could be done here, man, in America, right? I don't care what your differences are. I don't care what you believe in at the end of the day. Like, you go into a restaurant, man, you may see, depending on where you are, you may see somebody who doesn't look like you. You guys got something in common, right? So if you got a dream out there about a concept, about an idea about food, even something that may be already invented, like hamburgers, right? It's always something special about you and your recipe and what you put in to what you're putting out to customers that can be different. That can be a difference in mom and pop and, you know, the next McDonald's song. That's Dennis McKinley. For more on his concepts, visit EmergingFoodFranchises.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.